Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. Oh boy, oh boy, holding on and letting go. How many of you saw that title and thought, that is me right now? I know that that's exactly how I feel right now. This, this episode, this conversation, this concept of holding on and letting go is really resonating with me right now. You have been thinking about it and it has, to me, it has a lot to do with control, with the idea that we might actually control some things in this world. And, and to an extent, I guess we do, but more than that, we don't. (laughs) Many times, um, I think it's the illusion of control. And it's really interesting because the tighter we hold on to things, the more slippery they get, the more elusive they get, the more we need to let them go, right? Are you following me? You know, I actually, there was one thing that um, our guest, Cindy Collins, amazing woman, you're going to love her. I don't know why I'm talking this way. Um... But you know, I don't, I don't write my intros and outros. I literally just speak from the heart. So this is how they go. Sometimes I say weird things and I speak weirdly, but (laughs) so Cindy is just such an incredible woman. I met her through the skirt sports ambassador community. She's one of our older ambassadors. She's 63 and her story is truly just a really cool story. You're going to hear it in a minute here. She's been through so much in her life and where she sits right now. It's funny, she talks about a sit spot. This is a really cool concept we talk about today. But where she sits right now in her life is what I would call enlightened. I mean, she is enlightened about herself. It doesn't mean she doesn't still struggle with some things. She does. And we talk about that. But she's accepted who she is. She's given herself grace and permission. And... She's with that comes, um, I would say a bit of softness. And so one of the things we talk about today is this concept of what is your epic? What does epic mean to you? And I've been thinking about that because just because something you're doing doesn't look like somebody else's thing, (laughs) it doesn't mean that it's any less epic. Um, I would say that the minute this freaking global pandemic hit and affected your life, it created a new epic. For all of us, we are all living some kind of epic experience right now that we've never lived before. And now it's been going on for many months. And some of us just have extra layers thrown in. And so I'm going to do a pitch today for one of my big epic layers which is from my amazing company, Skirt Sports. Uh, In May, on May 1st, actually, we announced that we were going to head to the finish line after 15 years of doing business, of helping women find happiness in their bodies, of connecting women, of celebrating women, um, and of many fun and interesting and sometimes scary learning curves. But we are, we're heading to the finish and we started by just putting everything on sale and the response has been absolutely insane and I've gone through an incredible roller coaster of emotions myself. Um, You know, I've had to really come to terms with what it means to close a business and how you can reframe the word success um, from what maybe your original thoughts or intentions were to the reality of what actually happened. And for me, yeah, maybe I'm not having the 
the triumphant ending that I one day had dreamed of. But as many of you have spoken up to me, I know that I have helped many people and I have helped women change their lives. And that is more meaningful than just about anything you can do. And there are not many more episodes where I will be able to pitch skirt sports, um, you know, with myself in an ownership position. So I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to let you know that as of today, we have less than two weeks of selling our products. We are literally in the finishing shoot. Like I can hear the announcer, Mike Riley is right over there telling us that uh, the finish line is just meters away. And from a business perspective, we still have a couple thousand units of inventory. And every single person needs to buy every single color of our high dive swim bottom in every size to give to yourself and all of your friends or for the many different (laughs) fluctuations you have in your life because they are only $3.99 and we have a lot of them. So please buy the high dive swim bottom. There are still lots of products left. If you shop by size, um, we try to update it pretty quickly, but you will see what's left in your size. If you're extra small, there's probably 30 styles left. If you are an extra large, literally, there's probably like four styles left. So um, get on there and check it out. And uh, I appreciate everything that you have done for me over the years. And mostly I appreciate the fact that we have brought women together. You are about to hear in just moments from Cindy Collins, who was brought to me through this amazing skirt sports community And I know that you are also going to resonate not only with the concept of holding on and letting go, but with so many more insights that Cindy brings to this world. All right, it's time. Let's bring her on the show. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Cindy Collins, is this your sit spot today on your couch? No, I wish it was. It would be less (laughs) less buggy in here. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy to have you on. I've been actually wanting to interview you for the longest time ever since you came to the Skirt Sports Retreat last year. Uh You blew everyone away with your speech called Stroke. Wow. I know. How cool. And wait, what did the, didn't you have an acronym for Stroke? Yes. What Um, was that? It was suffer the results or kick ass every day. Uh, how's that going for you? Um, most days it goes really, really well, you know. You're just, kicking uh, ass every day. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, kicking ass as a 63-year-old stroke survivor might look different for me than it does for kicking ass for you, but um, I'm good with that. Um, I absolutely love it. Well, maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, actually, I didn't know where to start with you. There's so much we need to cover today, but I've already brought up the whole stroke thing. So maybe we can just clue people in and you already mentioned it. You're a stroke survivor. Um, and you had a stroke much earlier in your life when you were much younger. I was 27. How much? 27. Wow. Which is, um, stupid. Um, and I was teaching school and I was just living life all the wrong way. I was sedentary and obese and I was really poor because teaching was so bad. So I was working three jobs and I just was pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I think finally something kicked me in the butt and said, you know, things need to change. So that was my kick in the butt. So, okay, before we get into like the actual stroke, I mean, I actually, I want to go through the process of this. And relive it with you. I'm sure that'll be really fun. Um, <laughs> I'm like pissed off that teachers have to have second jobs to support themselves. And it's still true today. Because I, you're not I, 27 I, anymore. How old are you now? 63. You know, it, not much has changed in that regard. Right. And it's, um, you know, I used to listen to people and they're like, well, what do you mean you can't afford to live? When I started teaching, I was making $8,300 a year. And I lived in a dump 
and I had my car was always broken. I had to put clothes on my credit card because I couldn't. I so then I taught private lessons, voice and piano at my house, and then I worked at a convenience store at five o'clock in the morning, Saturdays and Sundays. So I worked. That's all I did was work, and I, mean, I was barely making ends meet. It's so tough because, well, first of all, you're kind of like recently out of college and we all, you know, you got to work a lot when you're out of college. You got to, you got to kind of pay your dues and figure out what you're going to do next and stuff. But once you choose your career, you should be able to settle into it. And that's the part I find frustrating. And I also, I'm just on my little like rampage for a moment. It also pisses me off like from a perspective of a woman who really champions women right? That's, that's something that's really important to me. And I know it's important to you too. And the majority of teachers are women. So then I feel like not only is it sort of a a career issue, but now it's a gender issue for me. I agree. Yeah. And I just, um, you know, it was just, it was the most terrible money in my lifestyle, my living lifestyle. I'm buying all the reduced price this and the, and it was, it was absolutely, and I had 10 years worth of student loans to pay back at the same time. Oh my gosh. So it was, um, it wasn't a good time in my life. <laughs> well, so were you at a point where you weren't taking care of yourself physically and you had all this emotional stress you were carrying yeah, around? I, I totally didn't do anything for myself physically. I ate terrible. I didn't exercise at all. I wasn't, I, there was no time or I didn't make time for me. So I was just living this bad life, bad life. So you had a wake up call. So what happened? Like, how did you know, first of all, at 27, you, there's certain things in our lives that we, we pay attention to signs like breast cancer. We're women. We're told young to like do breast self exams. And, you know, there's things different diseases or disorders that we might, that might be on our radar, but I'm assuming at 27 and even me at 48, like I haven't really done my due diligence to see what the signs of a stroke would be for me because Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not at risk. (laughs) Right. Right. So I bet you, I'm just assuming that you didn't really even know what the signs were. So maybe I didn't talk about that. I didn't live in my body back then, you know, so that was the first big problem. All I did was work and I just got up and I worked and I went to bed and I got up and I worked and I didn't thinking of that kind of stuff. I just wasn't connected to me at all. So I, I didn't even think about the signs, you know, I, I, I was barely surviving. It was oh bad. My gosh. Oh my gosh. So I love this concept of not living in your body. Oh. Um, I mean, as you, you're an athlete now in your life, you know, yep. you're a runner and, and you're a woman who moves. And by doing that, you get more connected to your body. So it's just, I've always been that. So it's hard for me to imagine that feeling of not being connected. Sometimes yep. I feel weighed down by my body, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so what were the signs? How did you know this was happening to you? Um, I kind of didn't. So I remember there's, there's things about my stroke I remember very, very well. And I remember I was teaching some choreography to one of my high school kids, dance choreography. And it's stuff I had done a hundred times and I couldn't get the signal down to my feet. And I thought it was odd. Um, and the kids kind of looked at me, they're like, are you okay? And I remember thinking, no, I just feel funny. And I, I don't know, I, I went over to the, the middle school, which was just across the street for something. And they looked at me and they said, you look funny. Are you okay? And I was thinking, I think I might have a cold in my ear because my balance is off. Um, and back then I was so poor. I never went to the doctor cause I couldn't even afford co-payments. So I didn't have a doctor. Um, and they suggested I needed to see somebody. So I called up the father of one of my piano students cause he was a doctor. Um, and I drove myself over to his house, his, his office, which was as stupid as it gets. And I remember trying to get down this hallway and I couldn't even figure out how to work down the hallway. Um, so it was kind of like this slow process and he asked a lot of questions and wanted me to go to the hospital and I 
drove home and took care of my kitties, and then I drove myself to the hospital. How stupid. Talk about not even, like I was that disconnected to what I needed back then. It was terrible. I mean, did the, did he say you might be having a stroke? No, he he was kind of, you know, he tested my reflexes on my stroke side, and I almost knocked him off his chair. Um, and he was thinking maybe epilepsy, maybe it was an MS kind of attack. And he wanted me to go to the hospital and get checked in and have a lumbar puncture. And so I finally did all that. And there was nothing in my lumbar spine. It was bleeding. Um, the bad thing of all of it was I didn't fit the, the case of somebody who should be having a stroke because I was young. Um, it was Thanksgiving weekend. And so they just kind of like came into my hospital room and kept asking me to squeeze my hands, squeeze their hands and all these different doctors because it was Thanksgiving and I didn't have one doctor. People just kind of came in and nobody was telling me anything. And I had no use of my right side, like nothing. My face, my arm, I couldn't pick up a fork. And they left me there for the weekend. And then that Monday morning after Thanksgiving, the original doctor came in. He said, well, we'd like to do an angiogram um, to see what's going on in your brain. And they did that. And that was horrible. And they're like, well, we think you had a stroke. I'm like, you think I had a stroke? (laughs) It was just, um, it was terrible. And, And then they discharged me with no PT, no OT. I couldn't even do my job. And they just left me. So I don't have, um, that's wow. kind of was the beginning of my, my take on the healthcare system. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was bad. Nothing. They left, they gave, helped me with nothing. So Cindy, I want to understand your support network at this time. I mean, you went through a traumatic event, which was like sort of diagnosed and then you were sent off with nothing. And here you are, this driven woman who, you know, you think you're striving for some kind of life success. And I just imagine that you probably didn't have a lot of time for anyone in your life at that time. So, I mean, were you literally like sent home to no one? Uh, yeah. So everything in my life, I, I have been guided in my life and everything's happened for reasons. And I didn't know it for a really long time. But at that point... I had just broken up with a long-term relationship. I, my parents were in Florida and I told them I had a stroke and my mother's response was, do you want us to come help you? Which was clear that I needed to do this on my own. So what it was, was my students rose to the challenge. They took care of me. They brought food over for three meals a day. They helped, I couldn't write. They wrote out my checks. They helped do my laundry. They were there every single day. So every day. how long was this? How long did the recovery take? Well, the recovery has taken about 30 something years and it's still going. Um, <laughs> that was probably an unfair question. <laughs> no, that was a great question because everybody looks at me and they say, oh, you have a hundred percent back. But if you lived inside my body, you would know that that's not true. Um, but I went, that was in November. I went back to school in January and I had no use of my arm. So I put a keyboard in my lap and I put my arm on every day, make my hand work. I started walking. The kids lifted me up so much and I'm still close to those students. Wow. So how old, were they? how old were they the kids? Were, they're all high school kids. Oh my gosh. They were, they were amazing. Amazing. I wow. couldn't have done it without them. And so you're still in touch with them today, you said. I am. I'm still, I've, they, I kind of drifted off for a while and I didn't do the Facebook thing. And I got on Facebook and one person reached out and then it was like all over Facebook. We found Cindy. We had a reunion at my house two years ago. Oh my God. How was that? Because <laughs> oh they weren't God, high schoolers it was, anymore. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. It was like we never left. It was because it's music, you know, it's so heart centered. It was awesome. Awesome. It just sounds like um, there was a lot of respect on both sides. And we like to think that the students all respect their teachers and vice versa, but that's not always the case. So 
How did like it sounds like more like they were your peers? Yeah, they well, I was young, so I was right out of college and I'm teaching high school kids. So I wasn't really that much older than them. Um, and I think my style just kind of, you know, I was just kind of down to earth. Um, and I, they, they called me by my first name and, you know, I really pushed them hard. Um, but I did it with love and kindness, I guess, when I look back on it, because we still communicate like, like friends. It's, um, it was really special. And it taught me that I needed to be teaching for a while, even though I didn't want to teach out of college. Um, it was another thing I get guided into. That was the first thing. Well, you talk about this sort of spiritual concept of being guided through your life to the next right thing. Yep. What, tell me more about that. Is it spiritual? Is it religious? It's not religious at all. Um, I'm not a church kind of person. Um, for me, it's all about nature. And I, I have found that when I'm in nature, I, I see what I'm supposed to see. I've been knocked over by things I don't see, um, but I feel, um, and it's just, you know, I sometimes go kicking and screaming to that next thing. And once I get there, I realize, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Thank you. Whatever you are. Thank you. I, this resonates a lot with me. Um, you know, I'm also, I didn't grow up with any kind of religion in my upbringing, Mm -hmm. And I have found most of my spirituality through being outside. Yes, absolutely. And, I mean, I think there's studies about this. You know, I remember when I had a newborn and, and if they got upset, literally there are studies that show that babies calm when they're outside. Yes. Or and get your feet on the ground. You need that grounded, yeah. whatever that is from mother nature. And that's when I started really taking to the trails and realizing like, oh my God, this is everything I need here. And I find quiet. And then I just, I've had, I have, I've had to learn how to let go to just kind of let myself be guided because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So what does that mean? How do you let go? Like, what are um, you holding on to? Um, I'm holding on probably like when I was teaching, I, I told myself when I started teaching that if ever one day I woke up and I decided I didn't want to do this anymore, I'd figure out the next thing. And I had that moment. I still see it. I see myself in the car. I know what I was wearing. Very visceral. And I realized I got to do something else. And all these great signs kind of um, got together. And my chiropractor said, oh, you need to do, you need to be a massage therapist. I'd never had a massage. Why would I be a massage therapist? That's stupid. <laughs> Wait, and were you going to the chiropractor for like recovery from stroke? No, I was going to the chiropractor because there's for some reason she just uh, she resonated with me. She was she's very um, spiritual, and I I learned a lot of things from her. Um, and she got you know, my parents both died, and she got me through that. And when she found out that I needed to do something different. And she said that. I'm like, you are crazy. She said, I haven't had a massage. So I had a massage. And I was like, yeah, well. And then I just realized, you know, it's just education of a different thing, right? It's heart-centered, just like music. Um, I was scared to death. Going back to school after 20 years, learning anatomy. But I just, like so many things in life, I, I threw my hands up and I said, guess this is what I'm supposed to do. And I had a very supportive husband. He said, you need to follow your heart, do it. And I went to school my last year of teaching. So talk about crazy. Oh my gosh. So how long after stroke was this? Cause all of a sudden there's a husband in the mix. Too. Oh, so stroke was 27. <laughs> and then I stayed at that school for eight years. And I finally, I just, I, I got offered this amazing job that paid a living wage. And I taught there for a while. Um, and then it was there and it was like push, 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 drive, drive, drive. But I was running then. And so, you know, that helped me get through it. And then I just realized this isn't a good fit for me anymore. Um, and I had gone through years of this obsessive, compulsive, push, push, push running seven days a week more mileage twice a day, got to be good at 
this um, and that made me, um, I just kind of fell apart in a different way after all that. And then I found massage and that put together my, I think that put together part of my heart. And then I found you. So I found massage and yoga all at once in trails, like big trails all at once. And I just kind of went, oh, I think this is it. <laughs> It's kind oh, of crazy. I just love this. Well, I can also understand how once you found running or started onto your running journey, your personality had been that you need to drive and strive, right? Yes. Even stroke, which probably woke you up to some stuff, but like that was still in there. So it takes time. You're probably like, now I got to recover. So I'm going to recover the I'm going to be the best at recovering. I'm going to recover hard, you know? Yep. So you're like, well, running more is going to show that I'm healthy again. I can yep. totally see that. And it also, like, I had control over running. So that means I had control over this stroke body. And um, I could do running because there was no hand-eye coordination. And so I just threw myself into that. And it took me a bunch of years to realize I needed to not throw myself into everything a billion percent because my quality of life isn't so good when I'm, I'm running at a billion percent. Mm. Oh, that's hard. Balance. That's you really, know? you know, I want to come back to that, but I actually want to go back to um, this concept of being heart centered. And, you know, it sounds like that concept sort of started with you with your love for music, maybe. So how did you know that you were called to teach music and that music was, you know, the important, maybe most important first relationship of your life, right? Um, so I didn't know I was called. So I went to high school. And my parents said, you're going college. And I was like, well, I don't like anything. And they said, well, you know, music, go to college for music. So I went really begrudgingly. My first two years, I hated it. They were all really serious about music, and I just loved music. I didn't want to study it more, um, and I was thrown into these intense people and awful until I had to pick a path, whether it was education or performance, and I picked education because I figured, why not? And I started doing my student teaching and I just kind of went, this is less work for me. This feels right. And I love, love the music connection with kids. Um, it was just really, really, really special. And it just kind of softened me up a little bit. I, you know, I, I see that in my daughter. Oh. I wish you and Wilder could hang out a little bit, but mm -hmm. I, I played music because, you know, we all had to pick an instrument and play music. Right. And then I just went for it and like, I'm going to be the best trumpet player in first chair, you know, in yep. seventh grade. But it didn't like call to me and resonate with me the way that you found it. Mm. And it's interesting too, that you were sort of forced to follow it. Yes. And then you've, found a true pure love of it yes and it's still there with me I still sing I sing in an ensemble and I just um it's just a huge part of who I am but when I was doing massage that was almost like the other part of my heart the the it, it had the tactile part um and like so working with people and then talking to them about lifestyle changes and that just with that and you put music all together, it was just, it was everything I needed. Everything I needed. Wow. It's so cool um, to watch these parts of your life um, find each other, like evolve and then connect. Right? Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. And wow, I, still, okay. I still know, like I did massage, private practice for 15 years. I had clients for 15 years that stayed with me the whole time from from student teaching out like hundreds and hundreds of massages yeah on the same people <laughs> amazing yeah i mean there's all it's a very intimate practice it is it is you know did but, it ever get weird 
<laughs> uh, in the beginning, I had a, I had a couple of instances that they kind of warned you about, um, and I learned very quickly. But those instances happened because I wasn't listening to my heart. And everybody told me I should put up a sign and make brochures. And my gut kept telling me, I don't want to do that. I want to I want to go by word of mouth. I want people to find me. But I did that, and I got a couple of creepy things, and I went, that's it. I am not going to listen to other people. I need to do what my gut tells me to do. And then it was fine. And then it was fine. And that is yep. such a big lesson for everything in our lives because yep. I also think there's times in your life when you block your own gut. Yes. Like you don't want to hear what it's telling you. Right. And we're not allowed to listen to our guts because it's not exactly, it's not scientific. It's not a logical, but for me, it's always true. You know, when something's not right, my stomach is the first thing that says to me, you know, you shouldn't be on this trail. I feel it in my stomach. And so I trust it. Um, I, yeah, I do too. I think that's such a really important point right now. Especially in the times that we're in where there's just a lot of like weird new things we're facing and we're not sure how to handle them. I don't know. Right. What have you had anything recently that's tested your your gut approach? Yeah. Well, kinda yeah. Like I have a, a yoga to a yoga teacher who is my favorite. Um, and she is a black American and we were talking the other day and she's you know, we were talking about all of that stuff. And she says, well, as a black woman, and I stopped dead in my tracks and I had my face like this. She goes, what? I went, I've never seen you as a black woman. I see you as my teacher, Sarah. I said, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And I never, I never saw the color of her face. And then I learned, well, part of that's good. Part of it's bad because she wants me to see her as a black woman. So I realized, I guess I got some work to do on that. Actually, let's talk that through because, you know, you've been sitting in your sit spot a lot lately. Yes. And um, maybe we could talk about the sit spot first. And then we can think, talk about the things that you've been thinking about on yes. the sit spot. <laughs> so yeah, tell, let, let's talk a little bit about what the spot is. The sit spot. So I volunteer for White Pine Programs Nature-Based Learning. Um, kids ages four to 14 and we're outside no matter the weather all day long and they start the the there's this program called sit spot and it's mostly designed to get you in touch with nature which eventually down the road gets you in touch with yourself um, quieting your mind getting you to be present putting everything else away and and I tried it the first year off and on and it I tried so hard and that was the problem. I was just trying too hard and it didn't work for me. This year, I just tried a few times and I realized I think I can do this this year. And then it's been my lifesaver during the whole COVID thing. Um, I'm out there in the snow, the rain, anything. I'm out there and it, it quiets me and centers me and it's all, it's all for me. And is, that's a gift. Is this like a, a form of meditation? It is not. And it's not religious. Um, and for me, it's not really spiritual. Um, but I, I go to my spot it's through the woods down the, it's supposed to be like two minutes from your house. And I have a chair down there by a vernal pool and I'm covered in a net. So the bugs don't bother me. And I, I look and I listen, and for me, it kind of puts things into perspective that in the big picture of life, I'm not that important. And when I find that place that reminds me that, I'm like, I'm not that important. The world is important. I'm a small, tiny part. Let it go. And it helps me to let go stuff. So what kind of things are you earlier we talked about holding on to things and letting go of things so this is a really this is a place that you can actually put that into practice you know daily or as often as you go what kind of things are you working hard hard on right now to let go of i work way too hard 
I'm still, I still have that drive in me that manifests itself in always having to be, you know, half the house has to be cleaned on this day and the counter has to be cleaned and got to do the laundry on Wednesday. I don't need to do any of that stuff because I'm retired, but there's a part of me that still is that person. Um, and I have to work very hard to let that person go away. So I work hard on that. I, I The other thing that I work hard on is trying to make sure that I'm as um, non-judgmental because I'm really judgmental about myself. Um, and I don't want that to creep into my relationships. And that's, it's so challenging, especially with social media. I find great challenges to be non-judgmental. And sometimes I have to, I step away a lot because it's, I'm very sensitive and it's just too much. And I have to take breaks. A really great point. Um, I, I, it struck me when you said you're really judgmental about yourself. Mm -hmm. So are you working hard on not being judgmental about yourself too? Not just others? <laughs> That's the key. So the, the, the verbiage is working hard. Um, oh. You know, so the, in that is the push, push, push. Oh, I'm trying to look at it as, as the let go. Yes, yes. Not, oh, not right. work harder. Like it's like saying to somebody, you need to work harder at relaxing. What? That's crazy. You know, you mentioned something to me previously about the concept of putting yourself on the list, right? Yes. In the same context of what we're talking about. Yes. Um, maybe you can talk a little more about what that means. Oh, gosh. So when I was doing massage, um, I had a lot of female clients and males. And what I first noticed was that men never felt guilty about getting a massage. They felt that it was important. And women always felt guilty. It was a treat. It was a luxury. And I started looking at that like, what is wrong with us as women that we that we can't you know, give ourselves permission to feel good or take care of ourselves. So I started to see that. And then the verbiage that came from these women was kind of like the same thing. They're beating themselves up all the time. And well, if I find time for myself and I just spent years listening to that and starting to realize that women are putting ourselves on the list. Like we'll do everybody else first. We'll take care of the house and the kids and the animals and the, the husband and we'll, we'll do it all and we'll do it all till we kill ourselves. But we're, if we're on the list, we're at the bottom. And I hate that. Why are we like that as women? It's my, my mission in life to get us to not be like that. And so I have to work with my, get myself to let go like that often. I mean, I'm totally relating as well, for sure. Because sure. also, you know, it, there's a lot of layers here too. Um, yep. As caretakers, as business people, you know, whatever, there's, you're often last. You're right. Always last or oh. somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking about relationships too. Like it's often framed that it's important to put your kids first. For right. every big decision. Right. And sometimes we put our spouses first or we try to mind read what we think they want in order to make our decision, right? Yeah. Um, you yeah. mentioned earlier a husband. Yeah. Is he still in the picture? He's still in the picture 23 <laughs> years. He, he is one of the ones that when I started my running and stuff like that, he, he was an all around person. So he windsurfed, he skied, he rode his bike, he ran. And I kind of looked at that like maybe that's the direction I kind of want to go. I like more variety, not the obsessive compulsiveness that for me came with running. Um, and so, and he's a really big outdoorsy guy. So he kind of rubbed off on me, I guess, for a while. And he still does. Ah, oh, you just look like you're really in love with him still. <laughs> He's okay. Still, He's I okay said still. Guy. Like you're not supposed to be after a period of time. <laughs> I mean, but the truth is, you know, we we set up our lives to be able to include partners at different levels. And 
And in this case, this is sort of your life partner. You can have business partners and running partners and all kinds of partners. And, you know, there's a point where it's just fun to hang out with the person. And you don't always have to like agree with everything they say or do all the same things. But if you can maintain that level of fun. Yeah. Oh. And the thing about him is, you know, he, he's an amazing athlete all around. He's one of those people that is good at everything. Um, and I feel like I'm the one that's good at nothing. But he, he constantly reminds me when I tell him I'm not an athlete. He's like, what? <laughs> So I still have that piece in my mind that says, well, you don't look like this and your times don't look like this. So you're probably not an athlete. I wrestle with that in my sit spot a lot. You know, and that's so interesting because I don't think anyone sees you as not an athlete um, (laughs) that knows you. You know, I came to know you through the skirt sports community and being an ambassador. And we've worked really hard over the years to be body inclusive, size inclusive, skin color inclusive, like just inclusive and age inclusive. And yes. you're on the older side of our ambassador community. Yes. And, um, and all of the other ambassadors, I believe, see you not as not an athlete. Like they see you as an athlete. And so it's interesting to hear, and this is, we're talking a thousand women, right? It's interesting to hear you grapple with that. And especially with your previous life as the OCD 70 mile a week runner, you know? So how do we, how do we help you let go (laughs) of, you know, I guess you're trying to hold on to an identity as not an athlete and it's not a positive thing. You're exactly right. And I don't know, you know, I think back to, uh, you know, we still have our, our parents upbringing in there and my parents were always, I was the kid who never did it right. It was never enough. Um, I'm the one who succeeded in life and my sister like fell apart. So there's that, that thread and it's quiet for a little while and then it'll resurface and then it gets quiet for a while. So I was the, um, that comes from my mom for sure. And you're never I mean, enough. Did you, no. I know you mentioned that they're gone and mm-hmm. I'm sure that was hard. Like it is for all of us to lose people, even when they're difficult relationships. Mm-hmm. Were you able to, you know, move forward positively with her at some point in your life or have you always harbored I don't know, some sadness or resentment. Um, I don't, I, I think I, I finally, I went through some therapy for it because I was so angry when she left because I never had a chance to say what I felt like I needed to say. Um, and then finally over time, when I was in the woods, I would just talk out loud and it was kind of cathartic and I would let stuff go out there. Every once in a while something will pop up that I think about it and I'll just say, damn it, mom, why are you still doing that? And then I can let it go again for a while. She just was a very difficult, difficult woman. You know, it's hard because no parent wants to raise a child to have, you know, negative or issues as they grow up. They just don't. But something inside of the parent themselves might be damaged, you know, and it's just as a parent of a young child, it's really hard to balance. Like you're trying to create a positive and compassionate and strong and confident person. But at the same time, you have your own needs. Correct. And you know what that I, I applaud you for that because I love hearing moms be able to say that because there's so many moms that don't even think about the fact that they have their own needs. Um, You know, you do have a good human that you're trying to raise, but you also need to remember that you and your husband came first and you need to nurture that as you're raising that good human. So too many women just put the relationships and themselves way on the back burner and they raise a kid and then the kids leave. And then they're like, well, who am I? What do I do now? 
And that, you know, I saw that in my practice and I was always talking to women about, no, 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 no. You, you, you are an entity in your own. You need to take care of that. And if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Yeah. And that's absolutely true. And that gets back to the core of this, like feeling guilty for doing things that take care of you. Yep. I think we programmed that way, you know, as nurturers, I think that that is a a integral part of who we are, but we kind of have let it turn into a really ugly monster from time to time. And, um, you know, there's too many women that still feel they need to be superheroes and and you pay for it somehow. Yeah, you do. Maybe you have a stroke when you're 27. Yeah. Or maybe you end up with adrenal fatigue or, or MS or who knows? I mean, we're, we're not so good to, to ourselves. Well, one thing we definitely are is constantly evolving and shifting people, right? Yes. And you are such a perfect example of a woman who's not only gone through different phases of life, but you're very thoughtful in your approach as Uh, you've evolved. Um, Where would you say you are now? Oh God, I'm just like so much, I'm I'm so much better than I I used to be. I I will tell you that I think it's so much was the stroke because I've seen people that knew me pre-stroke that like know me now and they're like, who are you? You're, you're not, I don't recognize you as a person. There's a softness that I never, ever had. So that's why I'm so grateful for my stroke. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky. I feel grateful um, every day that I get out of bed. Uh, and, you know, when it comes down to that epic stuff, you know, somebody says, well, I went out and ran 10 miles. And I'm like, well, I went out and I rode my bike for 10 miles and I and I, I took a walk with my dogs. That's epic for me. And I'm really grateful that I can still do that. So I feel so fortunate every single day that, that I have what I have physically um, and that I can take this, it sounds funny, but take my, that gift um, and maybe teach others about softening and changing and listening to learning to live in your body. Do you think this is something that's possible for young people to do? Or do you feel like this has to be, it really can truly be embraced after a number of life experiences put us in a place of humility or something? Yeah, I, I think that's the nail on the head, Nicole, is I think, you know, when we're in our 20s and 30s, you know, we're just living life and we're living the dream and we're invincible, right? Nothing's going to hurt us. Everything's great. Our bodies are incredibly resilient um, and we live like now. But as you get older, or for me, as I've gotten older, I start to think about more what is, what is next going to look like? And if I keep doing this, then maybe next isn't going to be so pretty. Um, you know, and I try to look at some younger people that are just, you know, trashing themselves and pushing themselves and try to just sprinkle on a little bit of grace and permission on top of all that and say, you know, I've been there and I've done that and I paid for it. And I'm just kind of here to let you know that you don't have to be like that. It's okay. You know, this is actually uh, pretty personal for me right now, like as I announced these changes in my life that I'm going through. Um, your voice really rose to the top. I mean, I, I got so much support and love. And that helped me, you know, to be able to reframe an experience and accept, give myself permission, like you just said, to accept that it was positive and successful, even if the ending of it isn't what I originally hoped for, right? Right. So you have been a force all along. Anytime I put myself out there that says, kudos, this is great. Change will be wonderful for you. There will be something incredible on the other side. You don't need to know it yet. Like, I just want to tell you this, that like, I've heard you. (laughs) 
I mean, is that, is this the message you're trying to share? Cause it's what yeah. I got out of you. <laughs> and, and you know, that, that to me, that just fills me up because I'm not trying to reach a thousand people. I just want to reach one at a time. And that's, I, and I, I have to tell you, I've looked at your journey as of lately and you know, your, your former pro and then you're, and you're listening to your body, like your stuff with your back. And, and I'm just like, more than excited and thrilled to see where you're going. There's such a softening in you that is the most breathtaking thing I've ever seen. You know, I feel it really. And I also think there's something about competitive drive changing. And I've grappled with whether that's positive or negative, you know, because I grew up learning and knowing that being competitive led to success. Mm -hmm. And I was a highly competitive athlete and then a highly competitive business person. And once I actually became a business person, I no longer had any competitive drive in sports. Everything was just about, let's go do something fun. Let's just try to cross another finish line. You know, it wasn't about winning anymore. But mm -hmm. the competitive drive in my business, I, it's in me somewhere still. I just don't know where it's going to come out or is it okay if it no longer really exists? Like this is a hard one, right? Sure. Because your level of, um, of competitive competitiveness is heads and tails, you know, above mine. And it's also what you've known. Um, and to let it go completely, you let, you let a whole part of yourself go. So, you know, I think it probably needs to evolve in whatever way, shape, or form works for you. And don't let anybody tell you any different. Because I love that. You know, <laughs> you, gotta, you know, your competitiveness made you successful, and you should always feel awesome about that. Um, and and having it change as you get older doesn't really mean you've lost it. Maybe it's shifted into something different. Do you think that could be part of why you don't think of yourself as an athlete? Because those days of like pushing for, you know, whatever goals you had have changed for you. And so now since you're not pushing in the same way, you're like, well, then I must not really be an athlete. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, th I think about that and, um, you know, I don't, I, I have to, I have to realize that I don't, I'm softer on myself than I used to be about that whole pushing and competitive, but it's really hard when I see my husband who's still very pushing and I have a couple of friends that are just always doing epic things. Um, it's pretty hard occasionally to just kind of look at that and go, dang it. I would kind of like to be doing that, but I know the other side of my mouth is saying, God, no, I don't want to do that. So I just have to learn how to just be peace with, time whatever i whatever i'm doing and whatever state my body is in and uh be happy about it sometimes be angry about it other times and try to drive down the middle oh i like that you know <laughs> and i also like the statement you made earlier which is like something about how your epic is nobody else's epic right, right. so what epic means to you is going to shift and change as your life evolves as well Absolutely. And as I get older, you know, as you, as you're starting to realize the body is less, less forgiving as you get older, no matter how well you take care of it, it's still a little bit less forgiving. Um, there's a lot of making peace with that that has to come, right? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking too about change and as it, you made a statement the other day. So in our ambassador program, you are a captain. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we announce that the company is changing and either sort of going away from a product perspective or, you know, on the quest for a new owner, which we're working on, I'll have mm -hmm. some announcements soon, I hope. Oh my gosh. Um, but you kind of like everybody, I just, I wondered like, is everyone just going to be like, all right, see ya. It's been a fun ride. Mm -hmm. And very few people peeled off. And you made this really cool statement because you had those same thoughts. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you were leading our ambassador group for a week, maybe a month or so ago. And you said, I thought about it. And I wondered, what's the point? Like, mm-hmm. really, if skirt sports isn't going to be here, why are we, why are we still hanging around? And then you made you kind of realize that that wasn't the point. The point was that we've created a community and the community is going to hang around. And I guess this whole thing is leading me to just believe that there's a bigger, deeper meaning behind a lot of things that we only see on the surface, right? Absolutely. I totally agree. You know, uh, I've been wearing skirt forever um, and I just wore it because it fit me and it worked for me. And I was happy just wearing skirt. And I learned about the ambassador program and I was blown away instantly because I saw women like me um, and, and my local people, I don't see anybody like me. And then everybody is just open. Um, people aren't judging. Um, uh, it, it's definitely my tribe. And when you're a person who's older and the stroke survivor, finding your tribe, it's really, really, really hard. And the ambassador program, the, the sisterhood, it's not going anywhere. I don't think it's going anywhere because we're all here for each other. And, you know, that's why I'm here. I love the skirts, but I, I, I love the program. I, we, our job, um, we lift each other up like nothing I've ever seen. Nothing. And as women in the world, we, we foster that love and acceptance and, and we tickle each other with challenges and we remind each other to put ourselves on the list. Yes. That. Oh, I love it. You know, and we all deserve to have a community of people who have our backs and who are going to lift us up. And they yes. might keep us honest sometimes, but they're yep. there to support us because they love us. That's and right. Some, what's cool about today's world is that, yes, social media can be horrible, but it can also be amazing if you're mm-hmm. in it for the right reasons. Right. And uh, this, this has been really special. So I'm, I'm grateful, actually, to have connected with you through Skirt Sports oh, and to too. stay connected no matter what happens going forward, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I am just literally dying for the day we can all see each other again in person. Me too, because the retreat dates came up last weekend and I put a post out there on the sisterhood page and I was just, you know, there's so many people I had met during the year was like, oh, I can't wait to see them in July. And then I realized it wasn't going to happen. I'm like, oh God, it was really hard. I mourned that. That was hard. I know. You know, one of the things that I plan to do, no matter what happens here, is to do a retreat that I lead for all of us. That'd be awesome. It will happen again, but when it's safe to happen. Absolutely. I, I, I'm there with you. So how are you faring through this time of, you know, being remote? Um, some days good and some days, you know, not good. Um, you know, I do my yoga, but it's on zoom and I hate it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) At least you don't have to wear a mask on zoom. No mask. Um, (laughs) my nature-based learning we stopped in March and so the kids were on zoom and that was really depressing um I miss touching people I miss that human connection and going out for breakfast and going out for a run with my friend I miss it um but you know I, I firmly believe that we'll get there and we're supposed to learn some things um, and learn some things about ourselves through this process. Um, and you know, I, I try not to, I don't push up against it. Like I first did. I, I found a way to get some of my angst out. I, I shop for, I'm a volunteer shopper in our local community for elderly and compromised people. So I get to go grocery shopping and bring groceries to people that this one couple, they're closed in. And so I feel like I'm doing something in, in this crisis. And that makes me feel good. It's absolutely true. And one of the, one of the keys to happiness in this life is 
having the ability to give back. Yes. And, um, you know, you are a volunteer, you volunteer for many things and there's just something that like fills your heart in a different way when you can do that. You know, taking care of people in your lives is one thing, but when you're volunteering for a bigger purpose, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it really can fill your cup and I'm glad that's part of, that's been helpful for you. Yeah, it's just, you know, it, it fills a little bit of the void. There's still lots of void there. Um, but I'm healthy and I'm safe and I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I can still be in the woods every day. So I'm really grateful for that. I know. I know. Grateful. Gratitude is important. You know, we are like, we're winding down. I want to give you a big, huge hug right now. And by the way, Zoom sucks for many things, but not for this. No, I get to see you. And you're doing, is this your first podcast ever? Because you're a freaking pro. This is my first ever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're amazing. You were, this was just, you are so dynamic. I didn't have to try at all. Oh gosh. So I think um, we're going to hear a lot more from you um, as we, as you hone your message. Um, we need to get it out there in the world. So let me ask you the last question that I ask every guest who comes on my show. And that is if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way. What is it? Move through life with grace and permission and make sure you put yourself on the list every single day. Nailed it. Perfect. <laughs> You're amazing. Cindy Collins. Oh, I, so uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. All right, you guys, I am back. Wow, Cindy Collins, freaking rock star. What a life, huh? Can you believe she had a stroke when she was 27? What a freaking wake-up call. No wonder she is what I would call enlightened at 63. (laughs) She'll probably laugh when she hears that. Um, Because as we know, and as she talks about, feeling sort of enlightened or being able to share the wisdom that she has learned along the way doesn't mean she's not still learning, she's not still struggling, and she's not still trying to grow. She is doing all of those things. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this concept of holding on and letting go. I was thinking about a couple different times in my marriage. Tim and I have been married now since 1996. Oh my gosh. And um, we've gone through phases where there was a time when Tim was holding on so tight that all it wanted to make me do was run away. He had to let go in order for me to be able to step back and sink back in. And later on in our marriage, the reverse happened. I mean, this is crazy. You know, I've been thinking a lot about my business and how I have held on to skirt sports so tightly over all the years that I couldn't see that it just might be time to let go and that is okay. You know, and at the end of the day, through all of this, it's about letting your emotions Letting your feelings, letting the intensity of these moments come out, not trying too hard to hold that inside. Because when you let it come out, we do what Cindy talked about today. We lift each other up. When you close yourself off to the world, you are not going to lift a single person, including yourself. But when you open up, especially when times are hard, and believe me, I know times are hard right now for so many people. But that is when we open ourselves, we find some positivity, and we lift each other up. So everyone, wow, that's what we've got for you today. I think you need to get out there and follow Cindy Collins. We will have links to her social in the show notes. She is obviously an amazing woman, would love to hear from you. And if if you live anywhere nearby, she will probably make it a point to try to come out see you sometime. All right, everybody. That's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. 
Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week. What do you guys have to say? A tornado? Yes! And that's it from the peanut. Yes! All right. Enjoy.